Welcome to episode two of the Athlon Sports G5 Football Podcast. I'm Joe Londrigan. Happy to be back with you once again. And we're joined by Eric Henry of 247 Sports and Horns 247. Uh, as we talked about on the last episode, the first episode of this podcast, we talked about Eric's extensive background covering Florida international football, as well as the entire G5, you know, uh, alongside me and, and several other of our, our colleagues for uh, another outlet in the past. But um, now we're, we're going to dive more into some G5 football stuff. And Eric, it's great to talk to you again, buddy. How was, uh, how was your weekend since we last chatted? Oh man, fun weekend, but it is that part of the year, a little bit early, but that part of the year here in the sunshine state where it is hurricane season. So if my lighting is off, that's because I'm depending on a lamp and an overhead light. And I guess you probably invest in one of those ring lights sooner or later because it is pitch black directly in front of me. Uh, so, again, let me apologize ahead of time for anyone viewing this on uh, the platforms that you may be viewing this on. But all in all, cannot complain, man. Let's see. Uh, last Thursday was a birthday of mine. So, last, yeah, last Thursday. Uh, no, wait. Yeah, last 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 Thursday, correct. Last Thursday was was the birthday of mine, so it's nice to head into that weekend. And I got some more friends come to town, so we'll continue to celebrate that. And yeah, man, just looking forward to talking a little G five football here with my old content buddy, Joe Londrigan. You know, life may have split us up in an informal way, but yet here we are, just always making our way back to each other. Nothing is going to keep us apart. I feel like there's a lot of. 80s and 90s R&B songs that, oddly enough, describe our completely professional relationship, <laughs> is what I keep telling my wife, but, you know. Very much professional relationship, and I really do appreciate it. I think she suspects. <laughs> <laughs> you, you broke me because I was going to go into dry humor. I do appreciate the, the, the great uh, Samantha Londrigan for um, giving us this room to have this professional relationship, because I'm sure in some way or another, it cuts in from her own Joe time, but nevertheless, she <laughs> Well, you know, I, I feel that our marriage is solid. However, to jump into our first news story, the marriage between San Diego State and the Mountain West Conference, more than likely coming to an end in the next year, it would seem. ESPN's Pete Thamel reported uh, June 16th, so a couple of weeks ago after this is uh, published, but uh, San Diego State gave the Mountain West written notice this week that the school intends to resign from the Mountain West Conference obviously going to do this uh, football season, but looks like the 2024-2025 football season, San Diego State intends to have a new home uh, for all their sports. But as of now, no offer inbound from any conference, not the Pac-12, not the Big 12, which frankly, I think San Diego State would be a welcome addition to either of those leagues at this point. But an interesting way to go about this if you're San Diego State, given you don't have a home yet, in my opinion, anyway. Um, I, I, well, okay, there's two sides of the coin, right? So uh -huh. it depends on how nerdy college football y we're going to get with this. Here's what I will say Joe, you and I both have been around college football a long time. San Diego State is not making this move without having some sort of back channel going to be why well let's start you think they're going to go an entire you know a couple of years without media revenue and all the things that come with being in a conference and having to fund all the things that come with being in a conference no like they're, they're not so I, I while they may not officially and to, to your point it is fair 
typically when you see a move like this, the next destination is lined up. But with that being said, I'm not expecting San Diego State football to be independent anytime soon. I just don't think that's feasible. I think given, you know, especially the state of where their football program is, you know, now, of course, with a new facility no longer being at a, I forget what the name is. I know it is Qualcomm Stadium, so I'm probably dating myself here. Uh, they got bills to pay. So I believe they will be in a conference. There is not, they are not a Navy, um, excuse me, they, they are not um, Army. Uh, it was an independent uh, they are not a Notre Dame. They are not that type of program that can really be sufficient uh, in terms of a national platform by being independent. So they will have, have a home by this time next year. I think you're thinking of uh, Snapdragon Stadium, but I very much think Correct. you're right um, in terms of them finding a home. That Southern California market that they have, I think, is extremely valuable for both of those conferences, obviously, since USC and UCLA departing the Pac-12 for the Big Ten and the Big 12 been uh, thinking about breaking into that that California market for the last couple of years, and this seems like a, a natural progression for them. And it it uh, it helps that the football program is led by guys that have been around the block quite a few times and have that Power Five experience. Uh, Brady Hoke, head coach of the Aztecs, was the Michigan head coach uh, for a while. Worked at Oregon as a defensive coordinator, I believe, for uh, a spell as well. Didn't do a, a bad job, really. I mean. Obviously, the way things ended at Michigan, I think a lot of people are going to remember that. But for a second there, he was almost heralded as kind of the incoming savior of that program, the uh, Michigan's favorite son, if you will, even though he's from Ohio. But I think that definitely helps their case. No, sure. Most definitely. This The only thing I'll say, and for those of us who are familiar with Joe and I, you know, that I will try to take a bit of a 10,000 foot approach here. If you branch this out and I have not had a chance to look and see if this is going to be a football only move or all sports. My anticipation is that it would be all sports. The Mountain West is not going to say, hey, you can take football and just, you know, have a home for everywhere else. My 10,000 foot view. OK, I would really like if they, that's the move. They end up in the Pac-12 just because of the logistics of that. The Big 12 is a conference that now seemingly for all intents and purposes, you could call them Conference USA with the layout of the conference. You know, I, I it'll never sit well with me, student athletes having to travel from San Diego to Orlando as someone who has been on the flight uh, to get to, you know, destinations across our great nation. The football team, yes, they charter. Basketball team, most likely will charter, right? Um, well, San Diego State's will. We know that they have a premier basketball um, program under Brian Ditcher. But when it's those non-revenue sports and they're taking layover flights, after layover flight, after layover flight, and the amount of times Joe have been on a flight with the, at this, this happened to me recently. I was with the Coastal Carolina, uh, gosh, women's, I wish I could remember what sport it was. It was like Coastal Carolina, Yale, um, randomly Florida International as well, FIU, I'll be. Um, but yeah, it, 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 when you're on these flights and you're flying, you know, commercial, it's just not a great existence to have to travel cross country. So, for that sense, for, for that sake, I really do hope they end up in, in the Pac-12. But the Big 12, in terms of just a sheer viability standpoint, in terms of football, that might be the next move considering where the Big 12 is heading, losing Oklahoma and Texas. I know we're a football show, but from a basketball standpoint, it's not a bad situation for whatever conference picks them up either. I mean, you're talking about a men's program that just went to the Final Four this year in 2023. Brian Ditcher's done a great, pro a great job with that program. Of course, before him, Steve Fisher as well. So yeah, San Diego State has been, uh, again, we're a football show, but if you really want to get just deep into the nerds of college athletics, 
take a look at the rise of the San Diego State basketball program under former Michigan coach Steve Fisher. Going back from when he got that job after I think he got fired from Michigan because the whole Fab Five thing um, and took them from like a six win team to uh, now a mid major powerhouse. So yeah, it's a great point on your part. That Michigan to, or that San Diego to Michigan and back pipeline, you know, it's like <laughs> it's real. It, it's, it's deep. It's deep. That's for sure. Um, but Eric, I think the main reason we wanted to chat on this episode was to kind of go through some of the big names in terms of incoming G5 transfers that are going to be making a substantial impact uh, in their new home. Some of these guys are coming from other G5 programs. Some of these guys are coming from Power 5 programs. But I thought we could each give our top three, starting at the uh, number three spot. Uh, if you want to lead it off and give your number three, I'll then give my number three, you give your number two, and so on. And we'll we'll work down the list and uh, see how we're feeling after that. I'm going to be quarterback heavy here. The main reason is because I think some of the programs, when you say top transfers, I'm not doing this in the sense of big name. I'm doing some sense of who can make an impact in my mind. And I was really torn at this third spot, Joe, between Casey Thompson uh, at Florida Atlantic and TJ Finley at Texas State. I lean more towards Thompson at FAU only because I think that's a program that is in a bit more of a prime position to compete immediately. We've seen Texas State for years now, formerly under Everett Withers, then Jake Spavitaw, primarily under the Spavitaw era. They hit the transfer portal hard, trying to revamp that program. They you know, went JUCO and went transfer heavy and, and really kind of almost neglected recruiting high schools because they tried to have kind of a quick talent, inf talent infusion that program didn't end up working out. So I think TJ Finley, while a nice addition coming from Auburn, still remains to be seen as far as how quickly they can jump into winning. Whereas Thompson at FAU, if you take a look at the Owls over the past few years, the, the, the case could easily be made that Willie Taggart's club underachieved. Yes, they were not the same program that they were under Lane Kiffin. It did take some revamping, reshuffling, re remaking of that roster. But when you take a look, when they had guys like T.J. Young, who, of course, now uh, has transferred to Ole Miss, reunited with Lane Kiffin. Evan Anderson is one of the top. If you are a G5 football fan and you're not familiar with Evan Anderson, he is one of the last of the Mohegans as far as the old school nose tackle, big 6'4", 360-pound kid. Should have a future somewhere uh, on Sundays just based on that size and athleticism alone. I mean, they've had talent up and down that roster, but just weren't able to make it happen, even with bringing former Miami quarterback Nikosi Perry. So when you look at the where they were in the offseason, Joe, they did bring in Daniel Richardson from Central Michigan, and that would have been a nice piece, you know, him heading back home to an area that he's familiar with. But getting Thompson, who's a more dynamic athlete and probably a more dynamic quarterback, if he can reach that ceiling, that kind of, the, of, of his potential, in my mind, I think you have an FAU team that can very quickly under Tom Herman make a jump in 2023. Evan Anderson, big slim. He is big slim, he really is phenomenal. I know. Yeah. To, to quote, uh, I believe that's just what the, the folks within the FAU program of the last couple of years have called him. But you know, one thing I'm, I'm real big on for nose tackles, especially is motor and arm length. And he's got both to echo your point, definitely going to at least get an opportunity to be a contributor in the NFL in the next couple of years. You mentioned your list was quarterback heavy. I'm going to go with my number three spot, uh, Hank Bachmeyer, quarterback from Boise State, going to Louisiana Tech. Um, I mentioned that 
this Sonny Cumbie offense really needs a veteran presence like his uh, in order to move forward uh, within the next, you know, couple of years. Um, and I think this is a huge step in that direction. They're going to throw a lot. Uh, Bachmeyer threw quite a bit at Boise State, only played in four games last year, still threw 94 passes. Um, and then, you know, when you look at what he did uh, in, in 2021 even, um, which was kind of one of his, you know, best seasons as a college quarterback, started all 12 games, threw for over 3,000 yards, threw or rather completed almost 63% of his passes, uh, 20 touchdowns, really was just a continuation of the reputation that I think that Boise State offense has uh, built over the last decade or so. But um, I think given what Tech has and given I see no reason that this isn't going to be like his team, he's by far like one of the most experienced guys on this roster. I think that's going to pay dividends um, for Louisiana Tech, even if they don't necessarily like contend for the conference title. I think you're going to see a, a a really good stat line for Bachmeyer this season, and I think you're going to see just a huge jump in terms of offensive efficiency for Louisiana Tech because of the impact that this kid's going to have. Well, Joe, it's it's really super interesting that you you make that point, right? Because I know for me, here's the thing: you talk about Hank ba- Hank Bachmeyer in terms of um, what he brings to the offense, in terms of what Sonny Cumbie's looking to do. I just think overall, Joe, in terms of being one of the top quarterbacks out there, you know, I don't know about you, but you take a look at the transfer portal market, and I will put Hank Bachmeyer, wow, um, if I'm just doing this off the top of my head, I think he's at the edge of that first tier. How often are you going to find a guy who was a three-year starter, or I guess two and a half years, because um, he only started the four games, but um, wait, Joe, I'm racking my brain here. It's been, Hank's probably, Hank might have been three, three and a half years, nevertheless. The starter in 2019, 2020, and 2021 yeah, for, yeah. for Boise State. Uh, obviously, the, the season was shortened quite a bit um, in 2020, but yeah. COVID, yes. So there you go. So really, you know, three and a half years. Um, I, I'll never forget his first start, Joe. You can look up the numbers. That I, you may be close to it right now, but it was at Florida State. And he walked out of Doak Campbell Stadium with a win, and he got beat up in that game. A true freshman going to Doak, a team that had really high expectations, pulls off the upset at FSU. So in my mind, just in terms of not only, you know, what they're looking to do offensively, but sheer talent, I think Hank Bachmeyer is huge. I mean, I'll just kind of blend in here with what you were saying, and I'll let you verify what those numbers were, but Hank Bachmeyer was not my number one. So I won't be too repetitive in terms of going off of what you said. I just think for what they're looking to do and the talent level that's already there, and we talked about this on last week's episode, what really hampered Louisiana Tech was the fact that they shuffled through so many quarterbacks last year. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more as far as Hank Bachmeyer. He's going to be a big piece of of that offense in terms of trying to get Louisiana Tech back to where they were just before uh, Skip Holtz was fired from the program. Um, they were going to bowl games every year, and I think, and they were you know scoring a lot of points. I think this is going to be a step towards getting back to that for them for sure and seems like you agree if, if you had him at your number one for sure I did. um let's uh let's move on to number two then who you got yeah so this is where i am coming in and, and i and i was decided that I'm, I'm gonna go with if you take a look at georgia state they've made a lot of changes in the off season and i think when you look at teams like them teams like texas state who've been so transfer portal heavy and you have the opportunity to bring in the amount of players that they have 
seeing what Georgia State's really tried to do as far as getting a foundation at that program that Joe, I mean, you've heard me talk about it very much kind of a, a sleeping kind of kind of like a gold mine. You're there, a great recruiting hotbed in Atlanta. You got the facilities that are up and coming. They do have some pieces there. A name that I would really, you know, kind of eager to keep an eye on there for me, they lost Jamari Thrash, who was one of the top group of five receivers in all of last year. So let's see, who are they about to replace? There's a guy, Peter Kikwata, Peter Kikwata, who came in from Old Dominion, Joe. But I think for what Georgia State's looking to do offensively and, and the fact that he has four years of eligibility left, Georgia State has shown in their short brief history that they can develop quality group of five receivers. You go back a few years ago, they had Quad Brown at quarterback who looked to be the future. He ended up not working out. He shut Quad Brown transfers down to Alabama A&M. Then they had Darren Granger. Darren Granger has put up, if you take a look at his numbers, certainly had some success, some big time, you know, outbursts, passing outbursts and what Georgia State's looking to do. Now they're still building that foundation, kind of shuffling around, seeing what they're going to do offensively. So that's guy, Peter Kigwaka coming in from Old Dominion, I think is a player that you got to kind of keep an eye on just because they have that history of really developing good quality group of five receivers. Yeah. Like you said, that, uh, that passing offense at Georgia state has always, uh, you know, been, it's kind of lived or died with, with the deep ball in my opinion. Um, and Darren Granger and quad Brown both have had that in their arsenal, but in order to make that work, you not, you need guys who are legit deep threats. And frankly, just based on, you know, Kikwata's, you know, measurements and the available tape that's out there on him, it seems like he's going to be closer to what they need in order to make that work. You know, it's one of those offenses, at least based on what I've seen from Sean Elliott's team in the last couple of years, they sustain the run, they establish, you know, the control of the ball on the ground, and then that opens up deeper opportunities. Sure. And again, you know, when you take a look at my list, those are guys who I think are, are prepared to make the most significant impact um, immediately. There's a lot of ways we could have gone. I mean, even go back to Louisiana Tech's roster, you know, Craig Scroll Williams, the coldest Crawford being a tech. Uh, we can go to FIU. I'll give you a sleeper. Um, Elijah Anderson Taylor, a kid who was the conference player of the year. I want to say it was the big, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the, the FCS conference out there at um at Northern Colorado. Big Sky? Big Sky is what I believe is the Big Sky. Um, yeah, I think so. De defensive player of the year last year coming in, stepping in uh, with Gaithan Bernadelle heading from FIU to Stanford. They need someone to step in and be a, a linebacker immediately. He's a kid who could probably come in and make 100 tackles. Uh, I mean, there's players all over the kind of over the G5 landscape. But those are three that caught my attention that really can make a significant impact immediately. Yeah, big sky churning out talent pretty efficiently the last couple of years for sure. Uh, my number two also has Old Dominion ties. And it's Blake Watson, actually, uh, the running back who is now calling Memphis his home. And the interesting thing about this one for me is Memphis has uh, sort of a, a vacuum created for themselves with the departure of Rodriguez Clark, who's now at Southern Miss. Right. So you bring in a guy like Blake Watson, who was a, a 2022 All Sun Belt honorable mention and was an honorable mention uh, in 2021 and 2019 for Conference USA when Old Dominion was in that league, I think he's going to really help essentially replace the yardage and the carries that Clark gave them in that respect. And I'm not sure if they'll really require this of him, but 
Watson, a really talented kick returner as well. And in Old Dominion's, you know, first season in the uh, Sun Belt last year was just such a huge piece of, of what they needed to accomplish, even though they didn't, uh, you know, really run things. I think the way a lot of people maybe expected them to um, started all 11 games last season, rushed 159 times for 921 yards and five touchdowns, uh, had a single season record um, for with uh, 37 receptions for 314 yards. Um, also had a rushing record for a single game, 259 yards and three touchdowns in a 19 carry game at Coastal Carolina. Um, so fantastic athlete. I think Memphis is really going to benefit from having someone like him in the backfield alongside. Uh, is Seth Hennigan is still there. Yeah, he's got one more year. Members are great, yes. So there you go. Yeah, I think that's what we're going to see out of uh, him this year, basically. Joe, I know you're looking at Blake Watson's numbers right there. I don't have them offhand, but he's a, that's a really nice pick. He's a kid who began his career as a kick returner. I want to say he was on the other side of the ball as a defensive back or receiver and, and got shifted to running back at ODU. Memory serves me correct. Um, but I know he had significant impact as a kick returner. Got his opportunity in 2021. Ran for over 1,000 yards, right, in 2021. Again, I'm not looking at his numbers. You, you have them offhand. Yep. Um, so Blake, Blake Watson, definitely a, a good player. I've had some correspondence with uh, some family members who are close to Blake Watson uh, who piped him up pretty well. So, uh, yes, that's definitely a, a big pickup, no doubt. And you talked about it. ODU, really kind of surprising what happened in the last year. You know, they, they did some things with the quarterback position that ended up um, moving. They've now moved away from Hayden Wolf, someone who I think, I know you and I both have been high on Hayden Wolf. Uh, Hayden's been around since 2019. He was a true freshman in 2019. Of course, ODU chose to sit out the 2020 season. Um, but again, uh, Joe, off the top of my head, where did Hayden Wolf land? According to our friends at Hustle Belt, Hayden Wolf uh, is at Western Michigan now. Okay, so that's another guy who could have easily made this list. One of the standout things, and again, I'm, I'm, this is where I'm forcing Joe to be my fact checker here. You can go to Sports Reference and check out his game logs. Hayden Wolf, it was either his second or third career start, Joe. Where the first career start was at FIU, it was a scorcher of a game, a scorcher of a day, um, a Saturday in South Florida. It was probably over 95 degrees. He got beat up a ton, hung in there. That was an ODU team the last year of Bobby Wilder that went 1-11, if memory serves me correct, and really pushing FIU team that had James Morgan and and you know Maurice Alexander and a bunch of players. But, Joe, I want to say it was that third game, I'm going to guess – and say it was at, I don't remember, was it at, or I, I, I want to say it was at Marshall. Um, they threw like 60 times. He did throw, he threw the ball at Middle Tennessee State in 2019, 65 times. There we go. At, at Middle Tennessee, 65. And what was that his third career game? Yes. Yeah. Like that should go to show you, you know, what that kid's kind of made up of. So it was weird to, or I not say weird, but it was interesting to see. Um, ODU kind of shift away from him, and now they've gone a different direction, the quarterback um, position. So I hate him. Wolf's another kid, you know, who could easily make this list because he is an established thrower in my mind from my neck of the woods here in Venice, Florida. Yeah, I agree. It also helps that he's 6'5". When you have that big of a frame, that, I mean, for obvious reasons, that lends itself to what's expected of you as an FBS quarterback. Josh Allen would agree with me. All right. Number one, you said it was Hank Bachmeyer already. Um, yes. Any further insight you want to delve into on the new Louisiana Tech signal caller? 
uh, you know, simply put, I think Hank Bogmar's arrival makes him a bowl team immediately. And that's capping it like bare minimum. Shout out to our, our buddies down there in the boot. I know you've been on with them. Sean Fox and company, 97.7, yep. Russ in Louisiana. Uh, I'm sure they'll have us on sometime. We'll probably have you on at this point. Uh, but uh, um, talk a little G5 football. They got to be fired up about getting a kid who, again, the day he walks in the door, that offense looking to throw the football, I think that's a huge pickup for Louisiana Tech. Couldn't agree more. All right, my number one spot, it is a wide receiver from TCU headed to SMU uh, from Garland, Texas, Jordan, Jordan Hudson. Hudson. Yep. yep, yep. Played in uh, 14 games last year for TCU on their march to the college football playoff. Uh, had 14 catches for uh, 174 yards and three touchdowns. And, of course, had two touchdown catches in that 62-14 uh, to 14 win over Iowa State that, uh, you know, helped really solidify their spot in the playoff um, and get to that, that Big 12 championship game. But, you know, before I talk more about Hudson, just want to point out SMU crushed it on the transfer portal game uh, this offseason. You know, they, in addition to Jordan Hudson, they got a uh, former Texas A&M running back, LJ Johnson. They got... Uh, a number of really talented uh, linemen who were former four stars coming out of high school, Caleb Johnson out of uh, Trinity Catholic in Ocala, uh, for example, Logan Parr, who was uh, who played at Texas, you know, now in your neck of the woods um, at corner Keyshawn Mills from Colorado. Um, it, there's so many good guys that came into Rhett Lashley's program this offseason from other spots all over the country. And there's going to be a ton of new faces, but the the talent is undeniable. But uh, Jordan Hudson specifically, four-star recruit coming out of uh, Garland High School there, um, was the number 21 wide receiver of the nation in uh, in that 2022 class. Um, and just, you know, the arm length, the speed, uh, the leaping ability, He's going to be phenomenal, I think, this season. Um, and I think he was the highest-rated recruit on uh, 247's list um, at, in terms of the ones coming into a G5 program for a reason. Um, phenomenally athletic young man. Well, I certainly co-signed with those 24-7 rankings, so there's that. First <laughs> no. Um, Jordan Hudson was actually going to make my list, but, I, you know, again, I, I tried to get a little, little inside baseball there and give a name that some fans might be familiar with. But, yes, Jordan Hudson, like you talked about, a standout athlete. I believe there may be some relation to Micah Hudson, who's one of the top three receivers in the nation coming out in 2023, uh, is, you know um, – can't go, can't talk too much about this, but uh, I think the, I think the day job will allow me a line here. Uh, Micah Hudson is uh, in between Texas Tech, Texas, and a couple other schools. I think a G five school may be in there as well, but I do think there is relation to Jordan Hudson as well. So yes, a phenomenal choice on your part. He really is the real deal. Having that P five experience, having played at TCU, you know it's going to be in an offense where they're going to throw the ball around at SMU. He's in position to make plays immediately. We'll see if they can, uh, you know, it, it makes sense that um, they made such a push to get all these high profile guys um, because, A, obviously they want to put themselves in a position to win the league. I think we're not really, I think when you talk about the conference title conversation for the AAC, they're not really being included, mainly because, A, they're in a league with Tulane, who had, you know, this record breaking storybook year last season. And of course, you have teams like, uh, UTSA coming into the league who people expect, you know, immediate results from, um, you know, I, th I think you can put, uh, you know, 
just someone want needs to replace that power gap left by Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, etc. And while Tulane is certainly in a position to elevate themselves to that kind of spot, SMU I think sees this as like if we're gonna you know continue to stay relevant, we got to do it now because also you have the fact that some of these other P5 conferences are looking at them for expansion as well. No doubt about it. All great points on your part. And I think uh, it's really interesting, Joe. And again, this could be another discussion for another time as you talk about expansion. What that next group is going to look like. You know, there are a lot of schools that got left out of the last round of realignment. SMU, mm -hmm. Memphis. You know, there's some others uh, in, the, in the old Conference USA. No hyphen, by the way. At least remember yep. that happened. That the hyphen is gone. Um, R.I.P. Who would, who, would, who would make the argument that they belong? So I definitely think it is interesting, um, and and there will be another round. So uh, yeah. it, there was an article in the Athletic. I wish I could remember who wrote it, but some schools, even like a USF, that they believe that um, their route to expansion or to the next round of realignment is pairing academic reputation with facilities and joe i do not know if you saw the quote and i am gonna for for new listeners we do this pretty often we do things on the fly uh i am not remembering who said this so i need to look it up right now because it was a phenomenal quote by mike loxley joe the quote was this unfortunately we've we they're talking about mike loxley head coach of maryland is talking about their new athletic facilities their football facilities saying unfortunately we moved in at a time when facilities have been de-emphasized in, in a recruit's mind, Loxley said, because they'd get dressed in a trash can for $25,000. Definitely, before we you know, kind of transition off of hardcore football stuff and just have a little fun, I'd love to get your thoughts on that quote, mainly because I think that has to provide a very unique perspective for a lot of group of five programs. Because the point that I've always made when it comes to G5s is, Beef up your facilities. If you take a look at the last round of realignment, it was facilities, infrastructure that got teams selected. It was not on-field success per se, right? I mean, that stuff helped. That helped your UCFs, your Cincy's, no doubt. But the fact that Memphis plays in the Liberty Bowl, that was not lost on the Big 12 in terms of making realignment. You can take a look at going up from CUSA to the American. They took a rice which quite frankly plays in a stadium that leaves a lot to be desired. Shout out to Matt Bartlett of the Roost. <laughs> um, they took some programs that, you know, like a Charlotte that doesn't have the biggest stadium in the world, but it is new. It is well done. And their facilities pretty much are on point. That used to be the selling point, Joe. Beef up your facilities. That will get you there. Now, now, and of course, that quote Mike Loxley was talking about wasn't necessarily in relation to realignment, but if you're a G5 athletic director, that's the fright you have to death. If you're Scott Carr at FIU, who just got a $2.5 million donation, and he's like, all right, I finally got some foundation to build these facilities up here, that has to scare you half to death because his program lost more than half a dozen players to P5 programs. And now you're saying, all right, this has been modified to facilities. So I did want to run that quote by you and just get your thoughts from a group of five perspective. Yeah. You know, I think based on my experiences working in college athletics, obviously ADs and coaches, I think, have good reason to really view this 
subject with, with differing, you know, opinions. Um, if you're a coach and you have a, a player that is, you know, concerned about facilities and basically asking you, what tools do you have that will allow me to become the best version of myself from an athletic standpoint? That's typically a very good thing. That's the sign of like a coachable athlete that a lot of coaches like. That being said, if you have athletes who don't seem concerned about that, typically, I don't know, I don't want to judge anybody, but my experience from talking to coaches is that coaches don't really want to deal with those kind of personalities anyway. Um, that being said, of course, they'll jump at the chance to coach a highly talented athlete, obviously, but you know, I, I think I don't blame coaches for being, uh, having their feathers ruffled by the perceived changes in ideology for a lot of these G5 kids that are jumping at the chance to, uh, make money through NIL at, at larger institutions and in larger cities. But ultimately I think the ones that kind of just, you know, stay focused on the bigger picture and understand like on under, understand that ultimately, I think you want to try to recruit the athletes who bring that mindset that can help elevate the culture of your program and help build sustained success. Um, I think Tyson Helton's a good example of somebody that does that Absolutely. now. Um, I think Will Hall is a good example of someone who does that right now. Um, we're seeing it kind of in the early stages, just the kind of, you know, in, you know, just the improvement that we've seen since Will Hall's taken over Southern Miss. I think he's a good example, but I think there's, there's tons of examples of that all over the place. Places like SMU, for example, happen to be at that crossroads of like, there's just money everywhere. <laughs> so they can build out their NIL collective and they can continue to, you know, better their facilities. And that's probably a, a big reason why they did so well in this last transfer portal section. Um, but if you're an AD where there's really nothing you can do to sway a recruit on the culture of your program and, you know, help them understand how being involved in this program is going to better your life, either as an athlete or as a person, et cetera, all you can really do is worry about the facilities. Then, you know, I understand why people like Scott Carr would be uh, troubled by, you know, kind of the trending sentiment amongst 18 to 21 year old young men. And it's not like you have to understand, like, that's going to happen. 18 to 20 year old men, many of which have never had the opportunity to make more than, I don't know, whatever you make at like a summer job but to go and make, you know, instantly upwards of 50 K in a year. Like, of course they're going to do it. It's, you know, it's not rocket science. I don't know, but th that's kind of my thought. I, I think long-term we're going to see the problem from a recruiting standpoint, kind of straighten it out. I think I said on one of our other podcast, um, on one of those episodes that this is really going to be kind of the litmus test. I think a lot of the recruits that are going to be in the classes of 2025 and beyond are going to see kind of the mistakes that some of the athletes that jump into the transfer portal for the wrong reasons now are making and understand what a successful pathway in that, in this new kind of frontier of college football actually looks like. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Like I said, just wanted your thoughts. They're all good points. Um, I'm going to boil it down pretty, pretty succinctly because I know I kind of gave my thoughts in the lead in. I think if you're a group of five program, no matter which conference you're in or what city you're in or recruit how you're going to recruit, just expect that you're going to have players for two years max. That's my opinion. If you do it that way, 
Um, yes, that is not the most comfortable thought for a lot of college football coaches. And it sucks for a myriad of reasons. I mean, one of which is because you're probably getting the best football out of that player come year three or four, right? But I think you just got to recruit the way you're going to recruit and account for the fact that you may have that kid for two years. It's just like, or I shouldn't say it's just like, but it's akin to college basketball with one and done. Now, of course, the teams that are mainly recruiting the ones and dones are the blue bloods, right? You know, and those aren't the G5 schools. But at the end of the day, if you shift your approach a little bit, just expect that you're going to get these kids for two years instead of four. I think that at least helps you to get you're just condensing your timeline because the money you can't control. You can't make money appear out of thin air and the NILs and things like that. You can't compete with. So just condense your timeline and you have what you have them for. I think it's a very healthy way to look at it. We'll see if uh, any of the coaches or athletic directors who call us for advice on a weekly basis heed it, but just kidding. Obviously that's not the case, but I I think most, um, I think college athletic directors and coaches who have that, uh, who aren't too stuck in their ways will eventually kind of see what the way forward is. And we're, we're, you know, I think nobody really expected us to have it figured out at this point, even with the, you know, government intervention that everybody seems to, to want so badly. But yeah. Um, but to end things on, you know, maybe a more happy note, um, we wanted to talk about, uh, would you want to talk about Eric? We wanted to talk about some of the best uh, stadiums we've been to, right? Yeah. I figured we just do three stadiums that, you know, that would be best. Just three stadiums have been memorable that we've liked. Uh, I'll keep in the G5 realm. If, if you want to, you can, if you, if you don't want to, we're perfectly fine, but let's have a little fun, you know, in terms yeah. of our, our cultural ball travel. So I'll let, I'll let you uh, bat lead off. I'm going to say air force, not necessarily for the stadium, but for the setting, it's just okay. a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous part of the country. UCF for sure. Incredible atmosphere. I haven't been to a game there yet, but uh, I'm going to throw Boise States in there as well. Uh, Blue turf, really fun fan base to be around. Can't beat it. So I cannot lie. Joe, I'm a little surprised that you, a man of such deep, big red faith did not throw Houchin Smith stadium in there, but oh, hang on. Hang on. I hear something. coming. Listen, I love Bowling Green to death, and I think pretty much any writer that's been on that beat will agree with me. Houchins needs a little work, and sounds like it's finally getting it. So Houchins Smith Stadium will not make my top three. However, it does need a, a little bit. Listen, it has great charm, and shout out to Tyler Roper and all the folks there at Western who, I mean, they got me a parking pass in the VIP garage that's right there. I mean, you just you just walk out of your car, and you're there. Shout out to them. I think part of the reason they did that is because they know, and that is that is changing, I believe, this upcoming year, when you got to walk in the stadium and then take an elevator that takes you halfway up, and then you got to walk all the way up that second concourse to get to the press box. Exactly, and, yeah. And as someone who, like, Houchin Smith is an older stadium with steep stairs, so it's just like you just look that way as you're walking up and you don't look backwards because you realize how far down you will fall. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but no. Um, okay. I had to give you a little crap about that because I don't you love Big Red. Let's see. If I'm going to do three, I won't do UCF. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm an alum, so I won't do UCF. This one, I think, gets slept on. And this is more of a game day atmosphere. And we wrote about this for you know another publication. Um, the Rock, M.M. Roberts, Joe, Hattiesburg, Mississippi on game day. Had a chance to go there in 2021. What I really liked about The Rock 
is it is a stadium with some charm. It's older, you know, it could be a little bit smaller, no need to be two levels. Uh, and, and, and it's a two level stadium. That's an older two level stadium. So it's high up. It's not a two level stadium like Charlotte, in which is intimate. That could change. But in terms of just overall game day atmosphere, Joe, I loved what I saw from the Hattiesburg faithful there from the Southern Miss faithful in terms of just tailgating around in and around the areas. Um, you saw plenty of people there, you know, wearing their Southern Miss uh, attire. And that's just something that the group of five level that can be hit or miss. So I really loved my visit to M.M. Roberts. What would be a second? Um, definitely would, would, would put, um, man, I've been to so many places now. Now I got to, got to rack my brain here. Cause I, I felt confident about these in no particular order. I mean, I think I just like Charlotte state. I like Jerry Richardson stadium because it's built perfectly for a group of five stadium for a group of five team of that size, right. For a group of five program of that size, just over 15,000. I've seen the plans for expansion. I hope they don't do that too soon because that stadium, when it's packed does get rocking. Uh, I've told this story on a previous platform. I'll tell it here. The, the configuration of the stadium, you come in from top down. So the press box is right there on that second level. But fans can be like eye level with the press box. So uh, the end of the Will Healy era last year at Charlotte, it was kind of surreal to be there and hear fans, you know, yelling at the coaching staff to do their job and <laughs> the fire Healy chants that could be heard throughout the, the stadium. Um, but nevertheless, uh, that I would say is a unique venue. And what else would I put on my list of places I've been? Wow. Um, trying to think throughout Conference USA, throughout the Sun Belt, Texas uh, Bobcat Stadium, Texas State. Definitely a, a, um, one that's kind of surprised. Um, I guess, you know what? They are a G5 team now. So we got to go here. William Stadium. That is not, <laughs> that is a premier facility. Um, of course, Liberty, you know, for, for I should say, I said William State, I should name the school Liberty uh, in Lynchburg. It is a top-notch facility. I mean, just across the board, really well done. You see, you know, the, the money that Liberty has to offer there. So I, I would put William Stadium uh, on that list if I were doing three. But so many others. I'd have to take a look at the board. we got the board back there um, of all the places I've been to. I mean, Marshall. Wow, I just saw my Marshall credential. Um, mm -hmm. Jonesy Edwards is another one with some charm. A lot of older stadiums with some charm across the group of five landscape that are that are really um really unique so listen if you guys have thoughts reach out to us on our social platforms let us know it's a good chance if i turn to the board i've, I've been to them let's see yeah, anywhere else i want to look at uh middle tennessee oh the, um, the alamo dome um alamo dome's on the good one so like i, yeah. I, I can keep them running so there you yeah. go yeah and and we should say before people are like you forgot my school or whatever these are just ones we've been to and right hopefully Right. Doing this show over the next however long and doing coverage for Athlon here, we'll get to see many, many more and we'll get to update these rankings on a future episode sometime. But I think that's all we got for today. Uh, we're going to be back soon with uh, some more insight on your favorite G5 football teams. Uh, namely, on the next couple episodes coming up, we got uh, an update on New Mexico State with uh, Jason Groves of the Las Cruces Sun nice. News. And uh, we're going to talk some Hawaii. Uh, going to talk about what to expect in the second year of the Timmy Chang era for the Rainbow Warriors. But if you want to follow us on Twitter, I am at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. Follow his work for 247 and Horns 247, as well as his uh, other G5 work, uh, mostly right here on this show. Um, 
And with that, and also if you want to check out, you know, some some clips from this show, that sort of thing, maybe get uh, get those on your social media feed. Uh, I'm just saying, go look up uh, G5 Football Daily on TikTok and Instagram. That's mainly where clips from this show are going to find their way um, into the platforms that the youths use. I, <laughs> I, Eric, I don't know much about TikTok. This is going to be a whole new adventure for me, but we'll see what happens. Um, happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.